When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. You're listening to the Eyes on Isles podcast with Matt O'Leary and Mitch Anderson. Hello and welcome to the Eyes on Isles podcast, episode number 161. What's going on? I am Matt O'Leary with Mitch Anderson. Mitch, how are you doing tonight, buddy? Um, I got nothing really to talk about, I suppose, so I'm going to talk about the weather. That's default, right? When you don't really mm-hmm. have interesting stories, you just bring up the weather. Sure. Um, I feel like we're in Colorado here. We're not. It's not quite Colorado, but it was very cold yesterday. By very cold, I mean like almost freezing. Uh, it's like wow. four degrees. Uh, freezing is zero, right? And then it's like 25 degrees today. 25 degrees swing in a day. It was hot. I feel like that's how you get. I'm not even talking like coronavirus sick, but like that's how you get like a cold, like just the, the switch in temperature that much. That would drive me nuts. Yeah, I add to that a double overtime, thank you very much, New York Islanders, with like four hours of sleep. Yeah, that's exactly how you catch a cold. Good thing I don't leave my house. Like, yeah, thank God. And nor do my kids, so like, there's no one to really get it from. Although my wife does go to, she's a teacher at elementary school, so. Oh boy, she, she actually takes a shower before. She comes in, undresses, which is nice, uh, and then she showers. Smart. Like right away. Smart. So I think we're okay, right? Uh, I'm not a scientist, but I feel like that's <laughs> pretty safe precautions. <laughs> Trying to cover all of our bases yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't really have a lot going on here. Just a, a long work day. So I'm excited to talk about the Islanders. They kept me up late. I was writing and editing till like 1.32 in the morning and then went to work this today. I was tired, had to have an extra coffee, but totally worth it because last night was a ton of fun. Oh my God! Was it? Well, it wasn't until it was. Right? Oh, like correct. it wasn't great, and then boom! Yeah, baby. Yeah, exactly. So uh, let's get into it, Mitch. Episode one sixty one. Happy to report the Islanders are still alive. It would be a little bit more bummy if uh, the series was over at this point. But game six is tomorrow night, or or tonight by the time that you are listening to this, probably. Um, so how do we get here? We got to go through and just talk things over. And the the last time we spoke, the Islanders were in a 2-0 hole, which it was not great. But they were able to win game three, which we expected them to come out strong. And realistically, the game four one was, uh, was tough. Having a chance to tie up the series at that point and, and then losing in the, in the fashion they did was deflating. It really was, right? Like, as a lot of weight is given to um, the A2 loss because it's an A2 loss, mm-hmm. right? Like that, that's a big number. That's a six goal swing uh, against you. That, that doesn't look good. Right. But 
when you're in a game. Like, we were never in that game. I think we scored first, though, right? Wasn't it Matt Martin who scored first in that 8-2 game? Uh, no, and then they Eberle, put, like, three I believe. Bu- right, yes. Sorry, I don't know what. Anyways, uh, we scored first either way. Uh, and then they, they put three past us. So, like, we were never in that game, right? We were, and then we, we were quickly not. But in this game three, we were there, right? Like, we, we were the better team, I felt. And then just one bad opportunity right at the end. At the end, like, seconds remaining to go to overtime. If this was overtime, I wouldn't feel so bad. <clears throat> but because it's regulation within seconds, oh, <clears throat> awful, awful felt, awful feeling. Worse than the A2. Yeah, the, the game, the, that was game two. That uh, was the... Uh... The final second, which was definitely a tough one to swallow for sure. That one hurt a lot more. Am I def- conflating game two and three? Yeah, the Islanders won game three. Um, what the hell day are we today? It's okay. Uh, what day are we? It's completely okay. Game Game four was similar in my eyes to, to game three. They just weren't able to hold on at that point. You know, they, they survived, I feel like, in game three because I, I don't think they played a particularly great game. But um, they they were not as lucky in Game Four with a chance to uh, tie up the series. Now, when you lose four one, that's not what you want to see, right? Like uh, oh, that is not not a not a good scoreline. I don't remember them playing very well. Like the shots against thirty six to twenty seven. It's weird that I can't recall the details of that game, even though it was like what, three days ago now. Yeah, three days. Like the- <laughs> Jesus Murphy, my memory. Um, but like. The Islanders, I'm not going to say they're the better team in this series, but they deserve to be, maybe not where they are, but I, I feel like they deserve to be level, right? I, I, if we could like flash, flash forward to game six, uh, we should win that one just because of how we've played so far. Uh, and obviously that's not how it works, but leading up to this point, like they've played well enough to be level. Um, but the only reason they are not is because Tampa has on on paper the better team. It's really just come down to that. Yeah, which I, I think is a great way to start this conversation. Uh, to me, the reason why Tampa is ahead three to two is one because they they do have more talent, and th- and that's not to say that the Islanders can't win the next two games. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is, is on paper that their roster is better. I don't think anyone would would argue that uh, talent wise. And I think that they've that talent has been able to capitalize on the smallest minimal mistakes that the Islanders have made, whether it's an icing, whether it's just a, a bad turnover, or last night even in a, in a win, it was a bad line change that was the only goal for Tampa Bay. Like those small little things, you have no room for error, so you have to play a near perfect game in order to beat them. And it doesn't help that Andre Vasilevsky is playing out of his mind. Well, that that's just it, right? So, like, what you're saying there is true. Like, the margin for error is basically non-existent. It's there. It, it's very much a margin, right? It's yeah. it is a marginal window of error. Like, you you have the slightest hiccup, and you could find it in the back of your net. Like you said, the Victor Hedman goal in Game Five, um, like, good shot by Victor Hedman. But leading up to that, like, they had a bad line change, and then everyone's caught puck watching as the rebound comes off um, Simeon Varlamov and that he just, he doesn't even get all, all of it on it, right? Like we said in the post-game podcast, like he doesn't go full mustard. He gets half mustard on that shot. Yeah, he, he did He's that, just placing it. Yeah, he did that purposely, I feel like, because he, he realized, like, oh, I have a little bit more extra time than, than I thought, so let me put this in the perfect place. And, uh, you know, Varlamov didn't really have a, a chance on that one. And I think we got to give credit to Semyon Varlamov because he's really kept 
than in this series after uh really after the bad game one. Oh, absolutely, right. Like game five was great for him. Great for him. They had thirty seven shots against, they scored one. And even then, like he came way out. He was wildly aggressive on that shot. Almost way too aggressive. Obviously not ish, but like he came out really far, right? What I'm trying to say is he came way out of his blue paint to cut down the angle on Victor Hedman, and he still wasn't able to do it, right? Like, it's just that that goal was going in no matter what. No matter what, that goal was going in, and that's the only one that went through. Varlamov yeah. was on point in Game 5. Right, and he came up big in so many other spots. Like, we mentioned in the post-game show, which if you're interested in the post-games, you can head to patreon.com slash eyes on aisles. $5 a month gets you a bunch of post-game content like that. And... Uh, like we said in that episode, Nikita Kucherov had the game on a stick multiple times, which I don't think it could be, it's a it's a hot take to say that he's the best player on the ice. So the best player on the ice had the game on his stick, and Varlamov came he missed and sent it wide a couple of times, but um, Varlamov came up big and made some pretty big timely saves when he had to. Absolutely, and that's what you want out of your goalie, and that's what we were missing a few times, like in this series from Varlamov. You know, just wasn't making the save when we needed him to make the save, which is unfortunate. We shouldn't have to put our goalie in a position where he has to make a save, but like that's hockey, yeah. right? Like that happens. And like you, you brought up well already, Vasilevsky has been doing that on the other side for the Tampa Bay Lightning. Yeah, one hundred percent. To me, Vasilevsky makes this that much more difficult. Like, let's ex- exclude the goalie for a second. Like, just look at the roster outside the goalie position. Have a ton of depth forward because, you know, there's a high-end talent. They, they've been, been fine without Steven Stamkos for the entire series and Braden Point for two games in this series so far. They've been able to survive enough offensively for the most part outside of last night. Um, and defensively, I think is they might be even better at that part because you have a lot of guys like Victor Hedman, obviously, uh, Ryan McDonough's solid, uh, Svechnikov, uh, Shattenkirk. This is a deep, deep... You mean Sergachev, right? Not Svechnikov? Sergachev. God, my brain is busted today. I, uh, this <laughs> is, You can't let me get less than five hours of sleep, Islanders. This is not my fault. This is not my fault. <laughs> this is I'm on not you. I'm blaming myself. I am not taking the blame on this one. It's a double overtime game. Thank you for the correction, Mitch. That's what hey, I meant. Hey, man, that's fine. I was I was all up out there for game three and two, so don't worry about it. <laughs> Hot start for both of us. Um, <laughs> so, like, just like that, you're like, damn, this is a really good roster. And then it's like, oh, by the way, you have a probably back-to-back Vesna winner in net. So you're just like, how the hell do you beat this team? And to the Islanders' credit, they, they are still alive in this series. They won a couple of games with a chance to tie up the series tomorrow. Right, like, look how far the Columbus Blue Jackets took the Tampa Bay Lightning. Of course, this was early in the bubble, right? Like, Tampa, usually what you want to do in a tournament is grow into it, and Tampa has clearly done that. Um, But Columbus was still able to take what is, again, like we've said, a very talented Tampa team, not to the ropes because it didn't go seven games, but, like, they took them to five overtimes. They really pressed them hard. And the Islanders, the reason I'm bringing up the Columbus Blue Jackets is because the system is kind of the same, right? We will outwork you is what the Columbus Blue Jackets mantra essentially is. And it's the same thing for the New York Islanders. Mm -hmm. We will outwork you. We aren't the better team on paper, but we are the better team as we play as a team. Uh, And it's not to say that Tampa doesn't. It's just that is the ethos of the New York Islanders. That is their bread and butter. Um, And so 
what what I'm trying to get to here is that the New York Islanders have that same mentality as the Columbus Blue Jackets, but they are a more talented team, right? Like you look at the Columbus Blue Jackets, and there's there's some good players. There mm-hmm. are Cam Atkinson, Pierre Luc Dubois, um, Merzlikens, obviously a pretty good goalie, uh, Jones, Wierenski. Like there are some good names on that team, but like the Islanders have more. Uh, and so if, if if the the Columbus Blue Jackets can push the Tampa Bay Lightning, the New York Islanders certainly should be able to get to at least a game seven here. Yeah, I, I would de- I would definitely think so. I would think if everything was fair in the hockey world, then yes, agreed. <laughs> Sometimes it doesn't work out that way. Um, but what I liked that we saw in game five, and yes, they obviously won a dramatic double overtime game, was the fight that came from this team with their backs up against the wall. I knew, and I know that you felt the same way, that this team was not going to go quietly. And they gave Tampa their all, and I, I think we're going to see it again in Game 6, and hope, hopefully if it does go to Game 7, it's going to be the same thing. I, it's not going to be easy for Tampa Bay to close out this series. It really isn't. No, because the Islanders know how to win. Uh, they don't know how to play dirty, though. So, like, the, the Tampa Bay Lightning are, are playing it dirty. And it's not to say they're a dirty team. I think they're just trying to – they're walking the playoff line uh, mm-hmm. are the Tampa Bay Lightning. And we saw the Washington Capitals do that in Game 4, right? Uh, kind of the same thing, and the Islanders didn't really have a good answer for that. Uh, the Islanders are doing a better job weathering that as it stands. But, like, if the, the longer the series goes, the more that that tomfoolery is going to ramp up. And – I I, I worry for the Islanders in, in that regard, just because it doesn't seem like they have the experience to kind of weather that just yet. Yeah, and, and that's a good point too, the experience factor. Because t- I mean, Tampa, yes, they haven't gotten over the hump, but they are in the playoffs and going on deep runs every single year for at least the last half decade. And they this is their like fifth time in the conference finals. Yeah, they they've they've made it a bunch. It's it's you know it's it's obvious that they they have the experience, and yeah, some of the guys are a little bit different. You don't have Stamkos, who's been here forever, but. That they've been there, done that, and the Islanders. This is new for them. This is the first time that they're in the conference final in 27 years. So the experience <laughs> isn't necessarily on their side. Yes, in in the uh, GM box and behind the bench, there's a lot of experience. But for the guys actually on the ice, outside of you know the ones who have won a championship elsewhere, there's not a whole lot going on. No, that that's exactly right. So. Um, I really want to get to the power play for this yeah, series. So sure. we're trying to diagnose how we got here, how we go forward and what we're doing. Uh, and we really have to talk about the New York Islanders power play because it is uh, not very powerful. No, it's not. They, they did score a Ryan Pulak power play goal, but they had 13 power plays in a row with that one before that. And you like to talk about it a, a lot and you're, you're very critical of it. And for good reason, the super dump. We've seen that far too often in this series where the Islanders will begin skating up with the puck approaching the red line and drop it back to a skater off trailing behind and then there's like four islanders waiting at the blue line and four defensive players as well standing there and they can't get into the zone and then it gets sent the other way and it's like okay let's run this back again and you spend the first 45 seconds to a minute trying to get in and you generate one shot on the power play and it's like well this is exactly what happens every time it's insane right it it this power play is so predictable not only when they get the zone right it's like okay now let's feed Pollock but getting to the zone it's all right let's drop it back for back for either Barzal or Letty and then they will have to dance their way through what is seven other eight other guys on the blue line 
That's a lot. That's a lot, a lot to dance with. And even if they do get it, they're the only ones in the zone. The other guys are waiting, right? Like, it's not like it's a, an attack in waves, right? Where they're trying to time it properly. And so you other guys are still entering the zone. You just kind of carry it deeper. And at least you got guys coming into the zone with you. No, no, they're stationary. Well, now they got to skate. So by the time you're in the zone, you, your guys are still just entering the zone itself. And like, the, no one is available for a pass because... They've got a defender on them. So, like, if it works, it doesn't work well, but it never works. Because, like, you can't ask Matthew Barzell to dance dance around minimum four guys, two of them his own, on the blue line. He's not a magician. No. um, I'm not sure if the Islanders are aware, but you are allowed to dump the puck into the zone and go after it and chase it. Uh, I know. It's it's a wild concept. Uh, They they (laughs) happen to do this. Often at five on five at even strength, uh, they they do that uh, especially with the fourth lines out there because they're they're big and they have guys who can go around and, and get it out in the corners. And you'd assume that if you had five players on the ice versus four, you're more likely to win those puck battles. Um, and especially if you have guys like Anders Lee out there who usually does a pretty nice job at doing that. Um, but for whatever reason, they they refuse to give up possession um, and. Oddly enough, that's what hurts them the most is holding on to the puck and just waiting at the blue line. I, I don't get it. So I, I've heard the argument. You hear that on the on the NBC broadcast. And like, well, they don't want to do it because Vasilevsky plays the puck. And he's, he's a pretty good goalie at playing the puck. I, I don't know about the, the pretty good claim. He's clearly okay at playing the puck. He's better mm-hmm. than Varlamov. That's for damn sure. Oh, yes. Um, but you still have numbers. And the, the whole thing with the Islanders system in terms of uh, dumping the puck they don't just rim it around the glass and pray to God they can get to it. What they try to do, it's a systematic approach dumping it in. Yeah. They're putting it into soft areas where they know they can get it first. Or or may not know because that, that, that implies a guarantee. They're putting it into an area where they have a likelier chance of, uh, of claiming it rather than not. So that means not necessarily playing it around the back of the net for Vasilevsky to get it. That means dumping it in the corner, having it stick in the corner. Or softly dump it in the zone so you can still get it. Uh, but they seem to not want to do that on the power play, which is frustrating when it's, like you said, they, they do this continuously at five on five when numbers aren't in their favor. I understand zone entries are a little bit cleaner in that in that regard because when it's five on five, they are in everyone's attacking and defending kind of like in, in, in ebbs and flows, right? It's not this kind of standard like on the, on the power play. One team is attacking, one team is defending, and there's a set balance there. Although on the honors power play the other day, it was still up for grabs because Tampa had two yeah. odd man rushes. Exactly, which I don't see how is possible, but... Uh, the Islanders found a way. Yeah, and uh, that's unfortunately plagued them in this series. There was signs of life briefly on the power play uh, at, at some point in the playoffs, but that has uh, since disappeared. Uh, in the Washington series, it was really bad, and it's really bad again in this Tampa series. And, like, the Islanders do well. Like, they've created a, just as many high-danger chances as the Tampa Bay Lightning. They have just as many power play opportunities, sort of. Like, they have 17 in the series to the 18 uh, that Tampa has. Uh, in terms of shots, like, they, they've put 31 shots on net to Tampa's 28. Uh, I know we, we, we lament about how much shooting they do, but they're they're doing more shooting than the Tampa Bay Lightning. Um, so, like... And maybe that's not the the ideal amount. I'm not saying that this is the, the they're, they're shooting enough. It's just that they're shooting as much as the other one. But it brings us back to our, our our other point. There's a reason that out of the 
Um, 28 shots that the Tampa Bay Lightning have got on the power play, they've converted on four to the Islanders, 17 shots, or mm-hmm. sorry, 31 shots and one goal, and it comes back to talent. Yeah, that you hit it on the head. It, that's where the, ta- the talented roster comes into the favor. You know, obviously, when you have those kind of finishers, you can be successful on the power play. And, you know, from the Islanders' perspective, it leaves little room for error when you, you can't take any kind of dumb penalties because you're, pa- you're practically gift-wrapping them a goal. The Islanders really got lucky last night in Game 5 when Anthony Beauvillier took a double minor, which was four straight minutes. Well, granted, there was uh, the end of the third period, which may have actually helped the Islanders if you think about it like that, breaking it up. True. Yeah, like they had a whole minute and a half of PK time, and then they get a break, uh, like a 20-minute break between it, and then the Tampa Bay come back with the two and a half minutes of power play time. But that's still power play time, right? Like that's mm-hmm. and, and that's an overtime or at the death of regulation. You have no chance to come back. Yeah, exactly. So um, ab- absolutely, the, the Islanders definitely got got lucky that they were able to kill that off. And, you know, that, that's what you know kept them alive for right now. And that's why they're playing game six tomorrow. That's right. Like, I threw this around. I just want to get this one final yeah, thought yeah. out on the power play. I threw this around almost jokingly uh, on Twitter during the game. Like, the fourth line, maybe this wasn't game five, but it may have been game four. Um, the fourth line was was their best line of the night. They were, every time they, 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 they start the defensive zone, like 70% of the time, when they start their play, they always find a way to push it back towards Tampa's end. And maybe I'm not watching to see who they're playing against, but I'm pretty sure it's against some at least decent uh, opposition. I don't know not sure if it's the Kucherovs or whatnot. But like they're always generating chances. They're generating a cycle. They're they're hitting. They're doing what they need to do in the offensive zone. Why are we trying that on the power play? Like I know I know like you don't necessarily put your fourth line out there, but like if your guys that you're paying to get out there aren't doing it, why don't you try the guys who are actually having luck? Like we we, we look at that when it comes to the shootout. Well, he's got the hot stick tonight. Well, they had the hot stick all night, and we're not giving him a goddamn chance when there's, like, one less person out on the ice. Get, give him the fourth line and then add Brock Nelson. Give him a shooter. Boom. Why not? What do we have to lose? Yeah, I'm, I might remove Matt Martin from that and do two-thirds of that line and do Clutter and uh, Pajo right now, but I, I think it's it, – you know what? That's not that crazy. Maybe, maybe throw Matty out there. I mean, it can't be any worse than what we've seen. Like, I know it's not going to happen, but that's exactly... It, it's not any worse. Like, we have two power play goals on 17 opportunities for an 11.76% efficiency. Oh. And that, that that number, I feel... When I saw that number, I went like, that's a lot higher than I was expecting it to be. Yeah, if you told me it was like 6%, I would have been like, eh, yeah, that kind of makes sense. Right? So, like, it's not awful, right? One, one more goal. We're just talking about one more goal, and they're at a 17% efficiency. Still not outstanding... But like that's pretty good. You can You're like, all right, that's that. respectable. And and one goal in this series, depending on what game you throw it in, that that could do it, right? Because they had um, four power play opportunities in game two, and they didn't score one. And the the game finished two one, right? Yeah. Okay. So that's a tie game if they can get their power play working. Not saying they would they would win in overtime, but like you've put yourself in Who the knows? game. Yeah, exactly. At that point, it's it's anybody's game. But uh, I'm I'm glad you brought up the power pl- power play because that's definitely something in this series that's been been an issue for the Islanders. Um, when you look at you know the five games that they played so far, is uh, is there anything else that you that sticks out to you? Do we want to talk about Jordan Eberle? <laughs> yeah, we should talk about Jordan Eberle. So 
in this series before last night, he really struggled, like really struggled bad. Uh, so when he scored last night, I don't think there was anyone more in desperate need of a goal than Jordan Eberle because time and time again, he was either not getting a good shot on net, shooting it wide, or just doing something completely silly on the ice, like a bad turnover, and he was killing the team. He went 13 games in a row without a goal. Um, so his he scored a goal uh, in game one against Washington, and then didn't and then didn't score again until game one against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Right, and then there was a few and of course yeah. yeah. So it was like one goal in the last 15 or something like that. That's right. That's not great. Like, he's got assists, right? So he's got numbers. It's not yeah. awful. It's just like you, you do pay him to score goals, right? Like, it's not just a set of plays. Yeah, I, I saw that was a hot button issue on, on Twitter kind of because I wrote about it. I, I was critical of how he's played in the playoffs, and a lot of the responses were, well, he's put up a, a lot of assists. But that, that's not that's not why he was brought in for it's not. It's not the same argument that we have with Josh Bailey. It's completely different because when the Islanders traded for Jordan Eberle, it was, okay, here is a winger for John Tavares. We know it did not work out that to be that way, but he was brought in and then paid to be a 25 goal scorer, which that's not a crazy ask. Like I, I, I don't even know if 25 is like a, a true goal scorer. That's a good player, but usually when you think goal scorer, it's like 30 plus. In my eyes, anyway. I don't know how do you look at it, but. I would say that that's goal scoring. If you can guarantee twenty five, you you pay that person. If it, that's okay. minimum, and and that that's what he is, right? Yeah, right. He should be. But the last right. two years, yes. he he wasn't. He had nineteen last year, and he was on pace for, I believe, twenty two or twenty three goals. Uh sixteen and fifty eight. Sixteen to by fifty eight times seventy two because he missed ten games, on pace for nineteen point eight. So yeah, twenty. Twenty. Okay, there you go. So that's not enough. And then if you pace out his goals over the playoffs, he wasn't at a good pace either. No, and, and that's the thing with Jordan Eberle. Like, again, we're, we're not talking about Josh Bailey. And, and the other thing is here, we're, we're not really getting goals, specifically in this series, from a lot of other avenues, right? It's not mm-hmm. like Matthew Barzell is filling the net. No. Mm. Like, we can kind of get away with it in the Philly series because Brock Nelson was pretty damn good in that series. Exactly. Um, but but in this one, not, that's not really the case. And like, he's getting shots, right? Like, I mean, not too many, but like he has got five in game one. He scores one, one, three, two, and then he finally scores double overtime. Like, that's not a lot of uh, shots on net for a guy who's a shooter, right? And especially on that line too, you would imagine that because Lee Lee is someone who's going to stand in front of the net and, and get his deflections and rebounds and stuff like that. Matt Barzell is trying to set up Jordan Eberle in, in most of those cases. And, like, yeah, sometimes you're getting pucks towards the net and you're going for a deflection to get Anders Lee his, too. Like, that's not what I'm, what I'm saying here. But, like, when he's skating around the zone and looking for someone to pass to, more often than not, it's, it's Jordan Eberle. And he just hasn't been getting those opportunities, the ones that, whether it's not there or he's just not putting himself in the right spot or... At some points, it's not just him, but the team in general has elected to pass in in pretty good opportunities where it's like, you probably could have used one on net here. There's that. I, I, I'm of the argument that there's something at Edmonton. There's something in the water. He's back at Edmonton, and he's just, like, not feeling it too well. Uh, I, I don't know, because he just he, he never scored a playoff goal for Edmonton, right? That's never true. in 13 games. He's got two in Edmonton now. So 
in the Eastern Conference Finals, no less. Right. So that's uh, that's a little bit different, obviously. But um, well, yeah, that's uh, that's definitely a plus, I guess, positive spin zone. But he he has to do more. So I hope that this is the spark. Uh, not only for Eberly, but for the team. In Eberly's sense, like he needs to get the goal scoring going if they want to stay alive. But killing off a, a double minor at the end of regulation in the beginning of overtime and then winning a game in double overtime, it could. I'm not saying definitely, but that could be a momentum changer heading into game six. It should. They they shouldn't let it get to the head like, oh, we won it, we won it in overtime. Here we go. You're still on the ropes here. You're you're still mm-hmm. you're st- it's still it's going to be an elimination game until you're either there or not, right? Like yeah. Um. So you you really have to approach game six the same way you approach game five. You have to. You almost have to forget that you won in double overtime. Yeah. It, it's an it's a new day. It's like completely starting over and. You know you're you're fighting for your lives, so you know hopefully this team comes out with a uh, with a fantastic effort and puts together a good performance. That's right. Do you know what doesn't help that potentially is losing Casey Zizekas. Absolutely. So unfortunately, we found out that Casey Zizekas and Tom Kunakel. No disrespect to Tom Kunakel, he doesn't have the same impact on the Islanders. Top line, Tommy. <laughs> he doesn't have the same impact that Casey Zizekas does. Uh, that that's a, that's a real bummer, Mitch, because. One like Casey's a likable guy and he he's important to the team, but like th- that fourth line is such a part of the identity. And when a piece is missing, it, it's not as effective as when the three of them are together. Well, we saw that throughout the regular season, right? Like they were together for a whole nineteen games of sixty eight, and Barry Trotz even admitted when he didn't have his four, his fourth line intact, he overcoached a team, uh, asking them to be more offensive than than defensive, and and it and it worked poorly. Uh, and clearly, Trotz learned from that, right? Like, okay, well, I'm going to be more defensive now, which means seven defensemen. Yeah, and that ended. Up, I think that ended up working a little bit in in terms of what the Islanders are trying to do in this series. Like, how we know that they have to play a certain way to win this series, and I, I think the eleven and seven, how they played yesterday, uh, helps them achieve that goal. And uh, because, I mean, Tom Kunakel's gone, but. Do you really want to see Michael Dow Cole, Ross Johnson, or Andrew Ladd in the lineup to get that extra forward in? No, no, I, I don't. You don't want to have to shoehorn anyone. Like, you don't have to, really. Right. They could get by. It's not ideal, but theoretically could get by with, you know, how they've been doing it. And Johnny Boychuk, yeah, he did, he only played like 12 minutes and change, but he's re- relatively fresh at his age. So him, him and... Uh, green, you know, could kind of combine for their minutes there. Yeah, and he grew into the game, right? Like he played more minutes as the game progressed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and the thing is, with you have to recognize against Tampa, like we've said before, with their their, their superior team on paper, we're going to be playing some defense. So if you have to, and, and that's where all of our breakdowns happen is in the defensive zone, obviously. Um, so like if you can get a fresh guy out there instead of a tired guy, well, then you're better off. Yeah, no, definitely. And, you know, hopefully that plays into the, the Islanders' favor here in, in Game 6 and hopefully beyond in Game 7. Uh, but the, the the impact that losing cases Zekas has is a lot. I, I think, and you tell me if you feel differently, I think the the role, we, we already know he has a different role, but it's just going to be even more so. This is just so much more weight on J.G. Pajot now, who is essentially being your your third-line center and your fourth-line center in a lot of ways. Oh yeah, well you saw it with game six, right? He t- or game five, sorry, he took like forty three face offs, wasn't it? 
Yeah, it was 43 of 74, something like crazy like that. More than Right, half. he took 70-some-odd face-offs, and he won 43 of them. That's insane. That That's nuts. But you're right. It also plays into um, the value of that trade, right? Like, obviously, Lou Lamarillo isn't thinking, like, well, what if Casey Zekas gets injured? I need a guy. Um, in that case, you, you get a replacement player. Like, you call up Cole Barger or something like that. Uh, he can't now. But, like, anyways, um, the trade is working out. Because of everything he already brings, him being Jean-Gabriel Peugeot, and then now it's like, well, now we can run three centers knowing that we got three really good centers and we don't have to worry about shoehorning another guy in just because we need another guy. Right, and that's where the Islanders' defensive depth comes into play because then you can get you can get by with you know playing that extra defenseman like we talked about. Exactly. So, you know, it sucks to lose Zeker for everything you, you mentioned already, but like the Islanders seem to be doing okay without him, uh, which is is something. I, obviously, they don't want to have to do that. Uh, they would ideally go 12 and 6 with Zeke uh, on, on the fourth, but like if you can't, you can't. I worry about how sustainable that is. Um, yeah, well, there's a reason Trotz has only done it twice since he came by, right? So, like, since he's come by, since he's been behind the bench. So, yeah, I'm with you that it's not necessarily sustainable. Uh, but once you get up against Dallas, uh, if, sorry, if you get up against Dallas, I don't want to act like I think we're, we're winning the, the next two games here. Um, if you get up against Dallas, then you change your uh, your strategy probably for a couple of games and you go back to that if you need to. But, like, John Cooper's been doing 11-7 and seven for, I believe, most of the series, if I'm not if I'm not yeah. mistaken. So no, yes. may, maybe that's just how we go the rest of the way. I don't know. But that, that Sezekis loss is tough. Uh, allegedly, it's a problem with his eye. Um, yeah. It's, it's, he's going to have to get some kind of procedure done. Uh, feel bad for Sezekis, obviously, when you're this deep in, in the playoffs and you have to, you have to leave and, um, you know, you're leaving the bubble and getting whatever procedure you have to get done. It, it stinks, but I'm hoping that he's back in 2020, 2021 and better than ever. Yeah, we get back to where we are now with him. Exactly. Hope so. Anything else on Sezekis before we move this truck along? No, let's keep moving. All right. So a uh, little bit controversial, uh, especially if you look online. But the New York Islanders general manager, Lou Lamarillo, won general manager of the year. Best general manager in the league, Lou Lamarillo. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? I, it's not to say that he doesn't deserve an award or it shouldn't have never won this award. It's just kind of like, I, if I made a list of the top like even five GMs this year, I don't know if I'd put Lou Lamarillo in that top five. It's uh, he wouldn't have been my first choice, but I think you could make a case for Lou. I you can tell me where it's not crazy. Like I, you would have thought that they they made the Ottawa Senators general manager the the winner by some of the reaction that I saw online. <laughs> True, but, right? Like, um, I, I think he's done good things on this team, trading for Pacho and trading for Andy Green, and this isn't quantifiable, so it's it's tough to to make this case. But getting this team to the conference final is a really big deal so that that's why you see like the three guys that finish as finalists all their teams are in the conference finals right yeah. boy and Jim Neal and, and Lula Morello it's because the voting for this is done I forget who does the voting uh, but it is done after the 
I don't know if it's after the second round or during the second round. It's one of the two. So like, yeah, th- there are very few teams to go by. Um, but like Lou has done some good stuff, right? Jean-Gabriel Peugeot. <clears throat> um, uh, obviously, you can't say bringing in trots, but like his team did have a 17 game winning streak throughout the year. Mm-hmm. That was a thing. Um what, what they, they've gone to the Eastern Conference Finals, like you've said. Uh, Simeon Varlamov was someone he picked up this year, has been lights out at least in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe not the entire playoffs, but he <clears throat> he was one of the stronger goalies throughout it. Uh, so, like, some of his moves, and he's, he was able to bring in Ilya Sorokin. Like, maybe that yeah. was a fair complete was going to happen anyways, but, like, we don't know that. It happened. He signed him. Lou was there. So, like, Lou got it to work. Uh, well, <clears throat> Gar- he's not here if Garth's still here. I can tell you that much. I don't think so. No, probably. Or maybe, but like, you know, he probably waits another year and just hits free agency. That's, that's the thing. I think you could make that. I could, I could see the case for other uh, GMs. The one that I don't see the case for that. I did see some, someone else try to uh, make the case for Kyle Dubas. Yeah. What the hell is going on there? It's not to say like, he's a bad GM. It's just, I don't see how he's a good one. I would say he's about where Lou Lamorello is. I would say. Okay. Okay. I, I, that's probably maybe that's, two spots lower. I, I put him a, I put him a little bit lower. I, I think he hasn't done it in my eyes. He hasn't done a good enough job building that defensive core. He certainly hasn't. Right. Cause he put all his chips in like puck moving guys or offensive. Like that's why he went Tyler Berry going like, well, that'll compliment my system. I got a guy who could take the puck North, uh, North South, right from the, the defense or South North to the, from the defense to the forwards. I got a guy that could do that, except he couldn't really do it uh, because everyone's already out of the zone, and then he's left to play defense, and he's like, guys, I, I'm not great at this. Yeah, yeah. What, <laughs> what am I supposed to do with my hands? Yeah, everyone's gone, guys. <laughs> like, What am I doing here? Right. Um, but the, the thing with Lou is that while they did have a 17-game point streak, he did get Varlamov and Sorokin, he waited way too long to get Andy Green, right? Like, Andy Green came in as a replacement for... Um, Adam Pellick waited way too long for that. Pellick went down January 2nd. Green wasn't picked up till February 16th. By that point, we were already a 500 team, if not sinking below that. Yeah, that's that's true. That's a, that's a fair criticism. And I don't think that Lou's been perfect. I still think this roster needs some work. But I think this is more of a, of a hat tip for getting a team who probably, in a lot of people's eyes, shouldn't be here where they are. Yes, and, and that's the thing. Like, if we're looking at a cumulative uh, like award, if we're saying, well, let's take the last two years, put it together, and it's, this is really a 19 to 20 award, but we have to give it out yearly, which is weird, but whatever, then absolutely, right? Because like, all the moves he made over the last two years, there's no question. I'm surprised he didn't win it last year, right? Like, that would have been the time. Yeah, theoretically, that would have that been... Uh, you know, I think he's probably I think he's probably more deserving of it last year than this year, but I don't have an issue with it. I don't think it's as egregious as some people are making it out to be. No, you're right. It's not like Pierre Dorian winning it, right? Like it, it really isn't. Um, but it's it's something. Although even then, Pierre Dorian made some pretty good trades. So I, I wouldn't say he's top tier, but his because his team did suck. But he 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 did some stuff. Uh, I, I just it didn't it surprised me that Lou won. It just. I get that. That's what happens, right? Like, you make these in conference finals. Uh, to me, like, the GM of the year award was always the Stanley Cup, right? Like, wasn't that the award? Yeah, I would I would think so. Or you built your so team so sense. well that they won the final prize. Exactly. So, I, I, I'm with you. It's kind of it's kind of a thing to just get people talking, but it, it worked, I guess. Yeah, you, they want their time in the sun, too, right? So, like, that's fair. I get it. 
Totally. But Lula Murillo, hats off to him. Congratulations. Keep doing the thing, man. We appreciate yeah. you. <laughs> Look, the progression after every year. He's been here two years. We went to the second round. And now the Eastern Conference Finals. Maybe the Stanley Cup. Like, that. that's insane. Two years. Yeah, good for, good for uh, Mr. Lamarillo. Ready to get into the quiz, Mitch? Yes, sir, I am. It is episode 161 of the Eyes on Isles podcast. I'm your FM radio host. I don't know why I'm talking like one. Um, so as we do every week, uh, I take a player who's played X number of games for the New York Islanders, and I try to get Matt to guess who that player is. Uh, because we're episode 161, I couldn't find a player who's only played 61 games for the Isles either in the regular season or the playoffs. So okay. I picked someone who's played 161 games for the Islanders in the regular season. Okay. So are you ready? The, 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 if for those who've never played, the clues get progressively easier as it goes along. So hopefully you get them before Matt does. Probably will. Go ahead. Eh, maybe not. Clue number one. I was born in Hull, Quebec on March 24th, 1983. Almost a full year before me. Next. I was drafted in the fifth round of the 2001 uh, sorry of the 2001 draft by the Anaheim Ducks 2001 draft Anaheim Ducks next I think I made this clue too easy but like well we'll see the Islanders signed me twice as a free agent the first time was in July 2010 PA Parentel yes sir let's go (laughs) that's a big win for Matt I'm pumped uh, four was I played my best hockey for the Isles with 120 points in 161 games. And five, I never made the team the second time, signed as a free agent. Bo and Barzell forced Snow to cut me months after signing me. I didn't look it up. I didn't have time to look up that one last one in terms of month or months. Was it? Did he sign in July or was it August and then cut in September? He, he did sign in July, but it was like July 3rd or something like that. Okay. So. It was a couple of days after July 1. It was, in fact, months. Okay, good. Good. <laughs> there, there you go. I like that, Mitch. That was a good one. Good. Thanks. I'm glad. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Absolutely. Let's get into the social segment. What's going on around Isles Twitter, Mitch? What do you got for us? Um, the first one comes from. Oh, I'm not even gonna try to pronounce this. Analag. Anyways, uh, it's it's a reply to Tony X. So if anyone knows who Soul City mm. is on on Twitter, he says we did a, we get another game of this series. Um, and it's like the, the face that's crying and then the happy face over top of it. I don't get that meme, but whatever. Okay. Uh, so, uh, Ja, apparently is this, this Twitter user's name, uh, replies how it feels to watch Isles hockey. And it's just a guy, it's Rocky just beat up. Just like, ah, like, ah. It, it does. It feels like that for us where it's like, it's so pain. Like we're winning. We're losing. We're, oh God, 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 no. It's, uh, it's very much a roller coaster ride of emotions. That's for sure. So I thought that that was funny. It's definitely apropos. Uh, the first one for me is going to be more of a shout out. So hat tip to at two minute pessimistic for uh, giving me the uh, the hat tip on the, on this one. But I, I wanted to give a shout out to the Islanders fans in the UK and Brazil tweeting in mm. Portuguese, like staying up all night watching these games like that. Islanders fans are nuts. I-, I love it. They're they're worldwide now. We have fans in the UK and Brazil going bananas watching this game at the wee hours of the morning. That's that's crazy. That's that's dedication, Holmes. I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, it. That that's the sign of a healthy franchise when you have 
fan base is not popping up because this isn't out of like yesterday, but like we're starting to notice them more um, mm-hmm. as we as a collective, not not even just fans in Brazil or in the UK, even just on Long Island and here in Ottawa. We're we've become more uh, connected. And as as a collective, our voices are, are growing louder. And it's it's great to see where all those voices are coming from. Absolutely. Uh, my next one comes from Greg Picker. I think everyone knows who he is. Uh, I just have to the, the call. Oh my god! So the, the, there's a call between uh, that that they're doing for the radio show, uh, and it's, it just says we got a little excited on the call last night's double OT winner. And the way it starts, he's just sitting there, right, like yeah. head in his hands, and then he perks up. I guess when when you see like um, a Shattenkirk uh, fan on the puck, and then he gets up and he does it, the triple fist pump, a la John Cooper. I don't know if that was on purpose or not, but like. Wow, what a call, too. I, I love that. Um, I am very... Well, I'm a broadcasting nerd to begin with because that's kind of what we do here. But any, anyway, um, I hate the narrative that team announcers can't show a bias. Like, no one, I get, no one is tuning into Chris King and Greg Picker, who isn't an Islanders fan, or doing it through the Islanders. It's not like you're not going to have someone who's a Tampa Bay fan, like, let me find Hofstra Radio and listen through there. No, they're going to listen through their own guys. So it's okay. I'm not saying be a complete homer, but it's okay to get excited like that and show emotion like that when your team does something amazing and unreal. And, and to get that on tape, that was awesome. I absolutely love it. I don't understand why you couldn't, right? Like, doesn't that make your product not as good? Because, like, why would I want to listen to, like, oh, and the Islanders have scored a goal in double overtime thanks to Jordan Eberle. That is the end of my broadcast. Thank you. No, they want to hear excitement, and they want to get excited, too. Right. It's okay. And, like, I I don't want it to be, like, saying, like, the we, like, talking about, like, oh, we need to do this better, or we need to do that better, or we did this on the ice, stuff like that, but to be leaning more towards the Islanders and to get as excited as what they did in that video. I'm all about it. I hate the no cheering in the press box that like all the, the stupid rules and the, the unwritten rules of the holier than now media is uh, really annoying sometimes. It really is. I'm glad they didn't play into it on that one because they were clearly caught in the moment. And I, and I love it. I absolutely love it. I, they frequently do. Right. Like, yeah. It's a great broadcast. It is, absolutely. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, I made fun of Andrew Cuomo, so I'm going to give him some props because he tweeted a congratulations after a win this time. So he tweets out, congrats to the New York Islanders on their hard-fought win last night in double overtime. Let's go, Islanders. Hashtag Isles. So uh, I did a little scale. So if you saw, I wrote an article about the last one and brought it on the the podcast social segment. Uh, I am available for hire for any politician. I don't care which which side of the aisle you lean on. I I will I will help you out. I will do your sports. You just run it by anything sports related. You run it by me first, and I will approve it or not. This gets an eight point two on the Matt O'Leary rating, which is pretty high. Uh, the only reason why it, it's an eight two and not a ten out of ten is because it was like eight hours after the fact, but that, that brings it down a notch, but everything was correct. It was a hard fork game. It does. It did go into a double overtime and they won the game. So, uh, you redeemed yourself a little bit, Cuomo. Uh, I, you get my respect here on this. Look one. at that. Good job. Andrew Cuomo getting your respect. Love yeah, it. There, there you go. Absolutely. Uh, my last one here is from at Fort never lose who, uh, succinctly, uh, sums up the situation right now. 
Isles are one of the three teams that can still win the Stanley Cup in 2020. And I feel a lot of people forget that. Yeah. Wow. Holy smokes. That that just hit me. Like I, that it's it's so it's so simple, but I don't think anyone realizes it or t- I think we take it for granted. That's the better way of saying it. We take it for granted, so it's okay to enjoy this. Yeah, sure. like he's not saying or they, I should say, they are not saying like they will win the cup. It's like, look, there's only three teams that could possibly win this thing, and the Islanders are one of them. And and I know everyone is positive now because they won, but after after the last loss, there was a lot of negativity. It, oh yeah, the, the change in in temperature is quick, which happens to any fan base, right? Like it's just we're not dead yet. We're not dead yet. We'll be dead once we're dead. And um, let's just enjoy the moment as it stands now. Really, absolutely. So that's the last one for me. That's all I've got. Perfect. So that'll do it for us. Let's get a couple of plugs in here before we go. So wherever you are listening to this show, please make sure to subscribe, rate, review. Really helps us out a lot. We genuinely appreciate it. It's been an absolute blast doing this uh, this year and for the last three years now. That's unbelievable. We've been doing it for this long, but we appreciate you guys. We love you. Um, you follow along with us on socials as well at Eyes on Isles FS on Twitter. My Twitter's Matt O'Leary and why Mitch is over at TLO Mitch. You can like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash eyes on aisles. We got you covered for game stuff and articles and videos and podcasts and all that stuff. A lot of fun over there. Uh, the app, Eyes on Isles app available for iPhone or Android or the website, eyesonisles.com for all your New York Islanders needs. Mitch, episode 161 in the books. I hope we get to talk some more Islanders hockey about a season still going on next time. Let's go, buddy. I think so. I think we will. Love it. That'll do it for us. Once again, I'm Matt O'Leary. He's Mitch Anderson, and we'll talk to you next time. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.